Hey there, John Rollison here. And today I want to tell you about my No Jesus experiment. Yep, that's what I did. For a week or two, I tried to walk through my life, live my life, interact with the world, pray as though I didn't know of or believe in Jesus. And that's what I want to tell you about today. So I'm going to pull the title off my screen for those of you who are watching and let's get into it. So my Jesus experiment, my no Jesus experiment started with my sabbatical. A few years ago, the congregation I was pastoring, Journey of Life, granted me a sabbatical. And uh, that was a great, great gift in so many ways. But one of the points of a sabbatical is to do things for your personal growth or professional growth uh, that the normal schedule of uh, life in that environment precludes, right? So uh, uh, academics at universities get sabbaticals because they have a regular teaching schedule and stuff, and they need to every once in a while be able to withdraw from that to do some uh, deeper learning on their own and that kind of thing. And pastors often get sabbaticals for the same reason. Our uh, daily life has uh, a rhythm to it, just like everybody else's, but uh, the spirit can run dry and you don't have a chance to do your sort of own spiritual work, your own life, your own contemplation, your own growth while you're uh, doing the day-to-day -day work of pastoring a church. And so pastors get, uh, at least they sh often do, and my congregation was generous and gracious enough to grant me a sabbatical. So I got, I think it was a three-month sabbatical. And so I had an opportunity to engage in and do some things that wouldn't normally be available to me or possible or at least practical. And one of the things that I I've, that has always been on my mind is I was born and raised in a Christian home. And there's a, some presuppositions that go with Christian homes and that, you know, they, they don't always get uh, they don't always get lived out or fulfilled like one would hope and expect, because that also is part of the Christian presupposition is human imperfection and the need for forgiveness and grace. But it's the forgiveness and grace that are also there uh, as part of uh, being Christians, followers of Jesus. So uh, as a, being raised in a Christian home, I was always raised to believe that there is a God and God loves me and that I can uh, be forgiven. And that forgiveness is complete and total and that God's not holding anything against me and things like that. And all this is based in the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's just the Christian faith, right? And so whenever I'm whenever I would be carrying a load of guilt or something like that, whenever I would be uh, have a heaviness in my spirit, I would have my faith to turn to. I would be able to think of God and the universe and my relationship with uh, other people and and the world in the terms that Jesus defines, which is uh, confession and forgiveness. Uh, the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and renew us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an amazing, wonderful 
fantastic thing to think about, to, to have in your pocket all the time, right? To, to just move through life knowing that this love and forgiveness uh, flows down from God into the world. And that's, that is uh, wrapped up for Christians in, the Jesus, in, in Jesus, right? So I decided to do a little experiment to see what life would be like without Jesus. I decided to give up uh, Jesus, give up on Jesus for two weeks. And so what I did was I, I tried to, as I began, I tried to look at how I would probably think of the universe uh, without Jesus. And I think that um, I can, I have some sympathy for like uh, Thomas Jefferson style deism where, you know, you can look at the universe and and say there must be something behind it there there must be uh, there's a driving force something is pushing things forward of uh, something brought the universe into existence and is pushing things forward and the, the you know the bible even supports that way of looking at the world it says that everybody can uh look at the world and and say wow and, and you know wow is kind of a form of worship uh, Paul writes about this in Romans 1, verses 19 to 20. He says, What can be known about God is plain to everybody, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the beginning of the world. So nobody really has an excuse for at least not seeking God, right? So I wanted to operate in that mode for a while. I'm also aware that you can't really do it completely, right? You, it's like, um, I know people, and I have done this, you know, you uh, you go through a fast, and I've done spiritual fasting just for myself, and I've also gone through fast to experience hunger, uh, which is supposed to generate empathy for the plight of the hunger and stuff like that, and it, it certainly does, but when you do that, it's like a 48-hour, 72-hour, whatever however long you've said it, it's a fast with a specific amount of time or you're eating only the food that somebody uh, starving in a foreign country could eat during that time. But what happens is, you know, there's an end. And so you kind of get the experience, but you don't get the same experience. Same thing with like homelessness, right? I know people who have gone to experience homelessness. They go live on the street for two or three days or a week or whatever, to experience homelessness, but the difference is that uh, they still have a bank account and they still have a home and a car. They're just choosing not to use it for a while in order to experience uh, the life of someone who's homeless. But they know that there is an end to their experiment, right? And so I know that I can't really walk through life not believing what I believe, but I can kind of act it out, right? And so that's what I decided to do for a couple weeks. I decided to give up Jesus and the unique things that I think Jesus reveals to us about God. So how did I do this? What did I do? Well, it's just pretty simple. Just refuse to let Jesus enter into the equation of whatever you're doing. I look around, look at the world around me without uh, Christian eyes, without referencing Jesus in any ways. Uh, in, in any way, I did pray, but when I prayed at night, I prayed to 
the spirit that is uh, behind the universe. I, I prayed to uh, the one who uh, is who I believe it was uh, in and through everything and brought everything into being. And I mean, of course, there's sort of an assumption that that being can hear and listen, that kind of thing, right? But so I moved through my life for two weeks without Jesus. Oh. So what was it like? What was it like for me to uh, to do my no Jesus experiment? Well, first thing I would say is it wasn't devastating. I didn't suddenly find all the meaning sucked out of my life. I uh, still was surrounded by people who love me. Uh, there is still uh, the joy and appreciation of things that are beautiful and wonderful. And I would say that in, in some ways, my appreciation for beauty, uh, both in uh, nature and in things that man creates, like music and stuff like that, I would say in a way my appreciation of beauty was heightened because it began to, uh, I didn't have Jesus to run it through. So the beauty itself almost like seemed to speak more to me in a way. So it was really good in that way. It sort of awakened a little piece of my soul in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, also had a heightened sense of mystery. Uh, I remember looking at the world. I remember looking, you know, not, not, not like specifically like that morning at 7.04, I stood up and looked at the world. But I remember looking at the whole world with a greater sense of awe and mystery. And that seems really good. I mean, you know, what? why is it that when the molecules get in a certain configuration, they become living cells? And, you know, rocks don't, rocks don't divide and grow. They don't um, metabolize resources and then uh, grow and divide and multiply, right? They're just rocks. They're not alive. And then some things are alive. And there are little tiny things that are alive. They're so small you can't see them. And there are things kind of on the human scale that are alive and we can see them. And there are things that are giant, uh, like redwoods that live for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they're hundreds of feet tall and they're 10, 15 feet in diameter. And they're just living very slowly. And... And then the universe, of course, just the sheer scale of the universe, which gives me the willies when I stop and think about it. The whole thing just gave me a heightened sense of the mystery of life. And that seemed really good. It, it, it seemed good to have the uh, sense of uh, mystery and wonder uh, fanned a little bit. It became a, a stronger thing in my life. Uh, so the appreciation of beauty and the a heightened sense of the mystery of it all. It was really good because I couldn't just like sort of retreat into Jesus. So the flip side, though, it was a little disconcerting for sure. Uh, it was a little disconcerting facing the universe. Uh, not feeling like I really know. I sort of just kind of had to look at everything and assume I had to decide for myself whether I believe something brought the universe into existence or it just happened. And everybody, everybody really has to just sort of, in the end, decide, right? I mean, uh, 
um, I, you can be you can decide not to decide. I guess that's another position. You can decide not to not to uh, assume anything. I guess that's an agnostic position. But uh, if you are trying to know if there's a meaning or a being behind the universe or not, you're sort of left in a position to decide because we can't see past uh, the beginning of our universe and we can't see into what might be other universes, although I guess we might be able to detect the presence of other universes in the multiverse uh, through gravitational waves. That's the last thing I heard anyways. Um, but the, as I said, my sense of mystery was heightened, which felt good. It was, I was more amazed than ever at the universe, but the flip side of that was, it was also a little disconcerting, not knowing uh, not allowing myself to feel or believe the things that Jesus brings to light. Uh, so I sort of was left deciding whether the universe cared about me, deciding whether there is uh, justice or is it all just come down to power, right? I mean, different people say different things about that. Thomas Jefferson believed there was a just God who... who um, who existed, but he wasn't really willing to assert anything about the universal spirit. Uh, other people believe there is no, they're materialists, they're materialist atheists, and they just think whatever you see is, and I, I don't see how a person who believes that uh, can get around the fact that um, the universe seems to revolve around power. So anyway, I had to weigh all these things in my mind, and it was disconcerting. And, and so, but I, I can see, sort of, I can justify looking at the world and believing there is something behind it all. There's a universal spirit of the universe that uh, brought it into being and, and might be somehow available to us in some way. But I was left wondering what that force, the universal force behind the universe was like. Does it care about anything or is it just like the impersonal force uh, like in Star Wars? And if it cares, does it care about me? Um, and if it does care about me and, and things like love and truth and beauty uh, seem to sort of generally resonate with the human soul and I know that uh, people can explain that through evol evolutionary means also in some ways anyways there's some things that are pretty difficult to explain evolutionarily um, but if if good as we generally define it even though we all kind of take it in different places in different ways but but humanity seems to have generally a set of what's good and what's noble and those kind of things. So then what about the less savory parts of me? What about the parts of me, my thoughts and words and actions uh, that aren't so great? What about the times when I do not act noble or loving or kind or charitable? Uh, what happens to those um, if there is a spirit in the universe, right? If anything matters at all, ultimately. So I lived that way for a couple weeks. 
And then one day I let myself think about Jesus again. After a couple weeks of praying and wondering what the universal spirit of the universe, God, for lack of a, for one word that we use. After a couple weeks, I let myself go back to having Jesus in the conversation. And the, the Bible has always talked about and, and people have talked about that the that uh, the gospel is what Jesus brings. The word gospel is just a word. It means good news. And and so I had a different I had a different experience of what the good news is that Jesus brings. Because it certainly, I, I've known, I, I've always known good news isn't, here's the rules to follow to please God. That's not, you know, exchanging one set of rules for another, that's not good news. That's just <laughs> exchanging one set of rules to please a God for another set of rules to please a God or whatever. But, uh, so the Christian faith has always been about forgiveness and peace with God through Jesus. But when I let myself consider Jesus again, after not considering Jesus, it, it really, um, it was impactful on me. Partly because I, I uh, understood, at least in a more, in a, in a way more real to me than before that um, things like truth and beauty and nobility and love are, and this is going to sound, I don't know what it's going to sound. I don't like the way it sounds, but nonetheless, it's true that I came to a deeper realization that these are universal human things and uh, truth and beauty and goodness and love are not uh, things that are only available to Christians. Now, there's some theology that some people who are listening to this are going to jump on me for, and you can jump on me if you want. I don't care. Whatever. But um, it made me feel more the universal family of humanity uh, trying to do life without Jesus. But then when I let Jesus back in, I could see in a new and stronger way that Jesus is really, really good news. He, he, uh, he certainly had a lot of great things to say, uh, but Jesus isn't just philosophy. He had, a lot, he had a lot of great things to teach about how to live life, but he didn't just teach about how to live life. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being. So that like hit me new with full force that I can look at the universe and I can see and my soul can resonate with truth and beauty and love and goodness and uh things like that. But if I want to know uh, what the God of the universe is really like, 
that I, uh, at least is the Christian teaching, that I should look at Jesus and I, and I will understand what God is really like. Because there's a good chance I'm going to get it wrong looking at the world. There's a good chance I'm going to not understand what the creator of the universe is like. And if I don't understand what the creator of the universe is like, then I don't understand what creation is really about because the creation comes out of the creator, whether or not it's a tiny little thing like a, um, a, a little pinch pot made out of clay in, in your elementary school art class, or it's a great masterpiece painting, or, or in the case of those who believe there's a God who created the universe, the entire universe uh, is a reflection of the personality of God, uh, of who God is, of God's nature. And there is a good chance that you're going to get it wrong. And Jesus is the one who puts God's nature on display for us. And it just, it hit me in a new and fresh way. That's all I can say. It hit me in a new and a fresh way. And the biggest story, there, there's two, two, two stories that really hit me in, in very, very strong ways because they, they, um, because they are, one's an account of something that happened with Jesus. And one is a story that Jesus told to help us understand what God is like. And neither of them are things that you would just figure out in the universe. So the story that really hit me in a new way, uh, there was a woman who was caught in adultery. And the uh, people, the religious leaders, now don't ask me how they caught her in adultery. Sounds like it must have been a setup to me and Where's the guy too, right? I mean, so there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of other things going on here. But nonetheless, there's a woman who is caught in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus, who is a rabbi. And they say, Rabbi, this woman was caught in adultery and the law of Moses commands that we should stone her, which means kill her by throwing rocks at her. And there's different ways they did that. Sometimes there would be like a lead person with a big rock. And sometimes it was just everybody uh, throwing rocks until the person died. But the leaders said, what should we do with her? Because the law of Moses commands us to stone her. And the Bible says Jesus knelt down and wrote on the ground with his finger for a minute. And people have speculated what he wrote on the ground. You know what I think he was doing? Genesis says uh, that uh, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And then in the beginning of John, it tells us that uh, Jesus is... The logos, which is the, the, the essence of something, of God in human form, and that he's the Christ, the anointed one, and, and it's going to get into all like, if we don't even understand the universe, let alone the nature of God, right? But Jesus, the Bible says essentially that Jesus was there at creation, and I think that this is this horrible situation. These people have tricked this woman, but you know, you can't trick somebody into, <laughs> into committing adultery without them being willing to do it, right? So there is a brokenness there also. And there's this political thing where they're trying to trap him and all this stuff. And there's this huge multifaceted thing going on. And I think Jesus just got sad and he went down and he just played with the dirt for a minute. And he's like, and I think he's thinking, 
what has man become this thing that uh that was created through me what has man? what you know you're just looking at the dirt going what has man become so anyway he stands back up and he says how about the one the how about uh the one who has never sinned can throw the first stone and then we'll all join in. And the Bible says that everybody looked at him and one by one, the entire crowd dispersed. It's starting with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And, and that, of course, makes sense because we all, uh, most of us anyways, when we're young and zealous, we have a different idea of our own fallibility and stuff. We get older and we get a little more sober sense of who we are. Uh, and then, so that's the first thing. And then he has an interaction with the woman. And this is the piece that like said, oh gosh, this is, this is what runs through the universe. This is the blood of the universe. Jesus looked at the woman and said two things. Well, he said, where are your accusers? And she looked up and she said, they're all gone. And then Jesus said two things. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. That's in the blood of the universe. That's what, that's what runs through all the molecules. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The judgment is gone. The condemnation is gone. When we beat ourselves up, when we walk around with a load of guilt on our shoulders for what we've done in the past, we're not acting according to the way God is and the way the universe is laid out to be. Because Jesus showed us that. And what Jesus said to this woman who was caught in the middle of her sin was, I'm not here to condemn you. I do not condemn you. I didn't hear that when I was in my two-week no-Jesus-deist experiment. But it's so clear in the life of Jesus. And so that was a big deal for me. It was a big deal to welcome that back into my life. And then the second part of what Jesus said is go and sin no more. So it's not, it's not, um, it's not do whatever you want because, of course, uh, um, we are created for love and goodness and truth and beauty and all these things of which we fail to live up to. So still go and live a life worthy of who you are as a child of God. Sin no more, but neither do I condemn you. So that's the first of the two things that really hit me, two, two particular things that really hit me hard uh, when, I was, uh, when I welcomed Jesus back into my life, was neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. And then the other is the parable... Uh, a story Jesus told to illustrate who God is. And it's the, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. But what it really should be is the parable of the uh, amazing father. That goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. 
uh, one son was a dutiful son and the other son wasn't. And the, the younger son came to his dad one day and said, Dad, I'd like my inheritance now. Uh, which is basically saying to your dad, you know, I wish you were dead so I could get your money. I don't know about you dads out there, but if my son or daughter came to me and said, uh, I wish you were dead so I could get your money. I would not do what the father in this parable did. The father in this parable said, okay. And he gave the son his inheritance. And the son went off to a foreign land and uh, squandered his dad's wealth in licentious living and parties and all that stuff. And then there came a famine and all his friends disappeared because he ran out of money. And the only thing he could get any work doing was feeding pigs. And, you know, this is where uh, the thrust of the parable is apparent to anybody, but the richness of the parable just explodes when you start to think and get some knowledge about uh, Jewish life and customs. Because, you know, Jewish people don't uh, eat pigs. A pig is an unclean animal to a Jew. And so when Jesus is telling this story, he says, this kid blows everything and he goes so low, he ends up feeding pigs. And that's about as low as you can go, right? Feeding pigs. And then the Bible says one day he came to his senses and he said, listen, dude, self, even my dad's servants have plenty to eat. He may not take me back as his son, but maybe he, but he'll probably take me back as his servant. So he rehearsed a little speech. He said, I've uh, sinned against God and against you, and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son, but please at least take me back as one of your servants. And so he rehearses a little speech and he walks home to go see dad. Now it turns out dad never gave up on son, even though son left dad. Remember, whenever we see that father, we're learning about God. And son comes walking up. Dad sees son. Dad is overjoyed that son has come home. And dad runs to meet his son. And in this culture, the patriarch doesn't run. That's like, the, unfortunately, and I'm not drawing all the comparisons, but in some ways... The closest thing that we have in our culture is the mafia. So if you think of the mafia boss, the mafia boss never hurries. The mafia boss doesn't raise his voice, except maybe once to like thoroughly frighten somebody, right? Uh, but, but the dawn sits there and commands, right? So uh, that's kind of similar. So here we have the father runs to meet his son. His son starts... With his speech and his dad says shut up and then he yells to his servants to do things and bring things that tell this son that he is his sonship he's still a son he may have given up his sonship but his father didn't release his sonship he's not his father says go get a ring for his fingers and shoes for his feet so in households in this time, the slaves would go barefoot, the servants would go barefoot, and the family members would wear sandals. And so when he says, go get some sandals, he is saying, this son is still my son. He is getting fully restored. And he says, get a ring for his finger. The ring is actually authority. They would stamp the ring into clay or wax as a signature. So... 
the son has treated his father as horribly as you can think of anyone treating their father. And the moment the son returns, the father is full of welcome. He's not saying, well, let me teach you a lesson for a couple of weeks by giving you the silent treatment or, or making you start at the bottom of, again. He's just fully welcomed home. That's a picture of God. That is good news. So they have a party. And then the other son asks the servants, what's going on? Because he hears music stuff. He's like, what's going on? And one of the servants tells him, your, your brother has come home. And he's ticked. The older son is ticked because he's been a dutiful son, he says. And, and, uh, and his dad never threw a party for him for his faithfulness. And now he's throwing a party for the other guy. And there's a whole lot here that is a whole nother talk about this parable. But what I want you to see here and here is that the father comes out from the party to go talk to his stubborn son, the older one, who won't come in. And this is just as shocking as the father running to the younger son. And we don't see that in our culture. But in this culture, for the patriarch to leave the party, to go plead with one of his sons to come in, oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. It wouldn't happen. And so this parable that Jesus tells giving us a picture of what God is really like um, just explodes in your head with welcome and love and humility and desire for closeness and restoration and family. And though those two stories, for whatever reason, came rushing back at me when I allowed the life of Jesus to, uh, to again illuminate my faith. And of course, in, in the life of Jesus, we see uh, Jesus um, who has been uh, loving and healing and teaching and the authorities uh, can't have it because he's leading them away from following them. And so they orchestrate his death and he dies on the cross and in the, Christian, uh, in the Christian view of the life of Christ, he is raised again on the third day, which is the final uh, piece of revelation of who God is and what the universe is like and about and everything like that. And so it's all very, very good news. It's all very, very good news. So that's my Jesus, my no Jesus experiment. And then what it felt like to let Jesus back into my life. The woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you now, go and sin no more. And the father who puts all protocol and propriety aside and runs to welcome the wayward son and leaves the party to plead with the dutiful but stubborn son who's got his nose out of joint and, and to live without those for a couple weeks and then let those back into my life. Uh, really um, it's the, 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 best, the best way I can describe it. I don't know if you've ever seen this on the internet, if you've seen what paintings look like before and after they're cleaned or restored, like the restoration of the Sistine Chapel, for instance, and, and I've seen many others, but you know, the beauty of uh, the work, the beauty of the artwork is already there. You can see it, right? But 
when it's covered with centuries of grime, it's kind of obscured. And then when the, the cleaner gets done with it, the colors pop and, and, uh, and the, the richness and vibrancy uh, are th that were always underneath are there in new ways. And that's what my No Jesus experiment did for me. It was kind of like cleaning the painting that the colors of my faith began to pop and shimmer and, and uh, the richness and depth um, grew dramatically by moving away from it for a while. So I don't know if you want to do your own no Jesus experiment or not. It's, it's a little bit strange, right? And, and maybe, maybe I'm the only one who needed that. Uh, cause I certainly, uh, meet many people who don't seem to, uh, that doesn't seem to be something that they would need, but I don't know what their spiritual journey is. I don't know what goes on inside anybody else or whatever. Uh, half the time, I don't even know what's going on inside of me. So I want to share that with you. That, that was my journey and experience through for walking for two weeks without Jesus and going back. It's just what happened to me. Do with it whatever you want. If you made it all the way to the end, I want to thank you for honoring me with your attention as I share a little bit of myself and my own journey with you. And I um, want to invite you to subscribe and listen wherever. Uh, you do. I think I'm, I'm looking to the side here. For those of you who are watching, you're seeing me look to the side because I'm looking for the slide. There it is. So uh, it's all on there. You can find my stuff in several different places and in many different forms. If you go to journeyoflife.org, that's one of the main ones. Uh, I also post things on a blog, which is at johnrallison.com forward slash blog. Uh, and I've got a Patreon account if you want to help support me uh, to continue to produce these things. That would be very great. Patreon.com forward slash John Rallison. And uh, if you were searching around, you can either search for my name or you can search for Journey of Life Church. Not just Journey of Life because there's an awful lot of things that have to do with Journey of Life. But if you search for Journey of Life Church on Facebook or YouTube, uh, you'll find... Uh, my stuff. Uh, also, the podcast is on iTunes or really whatever podcast client you use. Just search for um, Journey of Well, try Journey of Life or John Rollison and see which one comes up. I'm, I'm sure you can find me. Uh, so that is today's talk about my No Jesus experiment. It was really good for me. And it was also, it's also been really good for me to share it with you. So thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and God bless. Bye-bye.